Well, happy July 4th weekend. Thank you so much for being here. I am so proud of you. Thank you. And if you're a guest, welcome. I, I tell you, as we were thinking through the year and we saw that the July 4th holiday fell on Saturday and Sunday, we had all kinds of discussions about how no one would be here um, this weekend. And you are awesome, and I'm just so, so proud that you'd take your freedom and do more than just barbecue with it, that you really would worship, and so glad that you're here. We're in this series called Unlikely Heroes, and this is our concluding talk in that series, and, and it was strategically planned this way because this, this talk and this unlikely hero, I think, speaks to one of the realities that we face in our life in a significant way that often is ignored or pretended not to be real by people of faith. And it's the reality that life really can be brutal at times. Now, people of faith often say, if you have enough faith, that life will go great and everything will be roses, but it's just not true. And I appreciate so much that God makes it very, very clear that life's going to be tough. Jesus himself said that we're going to experience trouble in this world. There was no doubt about it. And for me, as I read God's word, the Bible character that illustrates this reality best for me is a guy named Joseph. And you can read about Joseph in the Old Testament in the first book, actually, Genesis, a bunch of chapters devoted to him, chapter 37 through 50. And when you, when you look at his life, he started out with kind of a charmed existence. He was born into a huge family of sons, but he was the favorite son, and so he got special gifts and special treatment. And, and then God gave him a very special dream where he was going to be used in a profound and great way. But then in Joseph's story, it all goes south. I mean, it goes from bad to worse. In fact, out of jealousy, his brothers sold him into slavery. They debated whether or not they should kill him, but they decided, you know, just to sell them into slavery. And so that we don't just pass over this like this is a normal experience, I, I just want to ask, how many of you had siblings sell you into slavery? Yeah, it just it doesn't... I don't care how bad you had it, you, you probably didn't get sold as a slave. And then as a slave in Egypt, he served his master faithfully. Now, this is odd because he, he really could have reacted to the betrayal of his family and the injustice of this world by just saying, forget it, then, then I'm not even going to try. But instead, he still, with character, did his best. He served his master faithfully. And, and so much of a quality servant was he that his master put everything in his estate under Joseph's tutelage, even though he was just a slave. And there he was, things going fairly well in this terrible circumstance, when his master's wife propositioned him for a sexual affair. And though he had no accountability, he had no family, he had no friends, he had been betrayed by everyone, he still had such a character that he said no. He decided he'd be faithful to God and he'd be faithful to his master, his owner. But the wife, feeling absolutely rejected by his refusal, 
then falsely accused him of trying to rape her. And he got thrown into prison as a result of making the right choices. And then as a prisoner, rather than surrendering to anger and defeat and just giving up and doing whatever, he, he still lived with character and compassion. He helped those who ran the prison, those who literally were keeping him imprisoned. He helped them so much that they put him in charge of all of their prison affairs, even though he was a prisoner, and he kept showing compassion to all of his fellow prisoners, and yet no one helped him. There he was, rotting in this prison, seemingly forgotten for some 13 years. And then the story takes an unbelievable turn. Miraculously, God fulfilled his promise. Joseph went from a long-lost, forgotten prisoner to the second in power in the super power nation Egypt of the day. I mean, he, he became like the prime minister of Egypt. I mean, it was crazy. Control over the whole economic circumstance underneath Pharaoh. This was an unlikely scenario. And then this is where the story, to me, as a human being, gets very intriguing because God allowed a famine to occur in the homeland of Joseph's brothers so they had to come to Egypt to get food, and he was in control of the whole food supply. They didn't know he was there. They didn't know what was going on, and, and they had to come and bow to him for food. Now, in my humanity, this is a dream come true. This is when they get their comeuppance. You know, this is, he had all the authority of Pharaoh. He could have taken them out. He could have had some fun with them. And he didn't. Rather than getting even with them, getting them back, he saved them. He provided for them for the rest of their lives. And this is really kind of confusing from a human standpoint because... Joseph experienced betrayal by those he should have always been able to count on. He experienced betrayal from those who should have shown him unconditional love but instead betrayed him in the worst possible way. He, he then experienced injustice after injustice at the hands of almost everyone he ever tried to faithfully serve. And for 13 years, it seemed like even God was betraying him, treating him just as badly as everyone else in the world. And yet, Joseph, unlike what most people would do, remained faithful to God, kept doing the right thing when everything in him probably screamed to give up and do the wrong thing. And because I so much want to have the relationship with God he had, because I so much want to experience God's promises and purposes for me unfolding in my life, I, I, I want so much to become like Joseph, but it's not easy. I mean, so I asked the question, I mean, how, how could he do this? It's so unnatural. It's so unnormal. It's so unlikely. And I find that he was able to do it because he didn't just talk about believing this truth. He actually lived and embraced and gave himself entirely to this truth. It's a truth that we probably know, many of us. It's a truth maybe we've sung about or talked about before, but, but this is a truth that he embraced with his, his entire being. 
And the truth is that when we love and trust God, God can piece together all things, even the worst, most horrific things, in a way that leads to an even greater good. I mean, look at how God says it in another passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is simply saying that God has the capacity to take all the pieces of our lives as disparate and as confusing, as frustrating and as painful, and yes, as brutal as they might be, and weave them together in a way that ultimately leads to our good. They're not all good things. The Bible doesn't say all things are good. It says that God can piece them together as good. And Joseph so believed this that he was able to trust God in the most horrific circumstances. Though brutalized by life, he made a positive contribution in every circumstance. And this is interesting. It doesn't confuse me at all that when the storm went away and he found himself on, in powerful position in Egypt that then he was willing to make a positive contribution and worship God. But, but he did the same thing when he was in the worst of conditions, when he was in the season of devastation and despair. He ultimately experienced significant honor. He made a significant impact in this world. And, and it all happened not because life was easy, not because people treated him well, not because he had the right opportunities and circumstances. It all happened because, and I hope you'll get this, because he never stopped trusting God no matter what. He just didn't stop trusting God. And because that's hard for me, and as... I get to know a ton of people in this world, hard for most of us. I just think it's important that we look at how we could do this. I mean, how could he keep trusting God even when betrayed by his own family? How could he keep trusting God even when he was faithful to God and God allowed him to be thrown into prison unjustly and then forgotten? I mean, how could, how could he keep trusting God no matter what? And here's what I find as I, I kind of open up his story I find that he could keep trusting God because he never lost sight of God's presence, ever. He never lost sight of God's presence. No matter how far away God felt, he never stopped believing that God was still present. Look at Genesis 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and so he kept prospering, even in this dark place. And he lived in the house of the Egyptian master, even in betrayal. He never lost sight of God's presence. And I don't know about you, but I can, I can start looking at God through the lens of my emotion and start feeling like he's betraying me, he's forsaking me, he's, he doesn't care about me. Do you ever, do you ever like feel like that? Do you ever, when you, when you pray, if you pray, do you ever like pray in such a way where you're going, excuse me, excuse me, God, I don't know what kind of vacation you're on. How's Bermuda? but you're kind of missing what's going on. Do you ever feel that way? If anyone could have felt that way and did, it was Joseph, but he never lost sight of the fact that no matter how he felt, God was present with him. And when, when you know God's present with you, you can keep trusting him. 
How, how did he keep trusting God even in these, these awful seasons of his life? Because he never lost confidence in God's character. He, he never stopped believing that God was good. Now, you know, a lot of times people of faith say cute cliches. Have you ever heard this one? God is good and all the time. So most of you haven't heard it. Yeah, I get it. It's July 5th. We are here, you know. Don't make us play. Okay, I get it. Here's the thing. We, we have these cute little clay. God's good all the time, all the time. God's good. We write songs about it. We sing it. We get happy about it. The only thing is we don't live it. Because the minute things don't go our way, what do we do? We lose confidence in God's character. We start thinking, you say you're good, but why are you allowing this to happen to me and all that? But he never lost confidence in God's character. Look at Genesis 39, verses 6 through 9. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Man, can I identify with this passage. This is awesome. (laughs) Well-built, check. And handsome. And after a while, his slave owner's wife, his master's wife, took notice of Joseph. I can't tell you how many babes are always after me. I mean, it's like I, I relate so well to this. And then the master's wife said, come to bed with me. Yep, that's right. That's what they do. That's never happened to me, not once. I can't even get my wife to say, come to bed with me. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Dude, but anyway, he, it was the next part of this passage that really, I, the other part was just for fun. This is the real important part. He, he refused. Here he was with no accountability, betrayed by everyone who was supposed to care about him. And he was given an opportunity to do something that could have brought him pleasure, something that everybody does. But he refused because, look what he says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You know what we do? We think, God, you've sinned against me. I mean, my life's supposed to be better than this. My life's supposed to be different than this. You're not supposed to allow me to experience this darkness betrayal. If you're going to allow this to happen to me, then guess what? I'm going to start pursuing my own pleasures. Who cares about you? But he never got there. Because he never lost confidence in God's character. When you really believe that God is good and just and holy and loves you, when you have confidence in his character, no matter how badly life is going, you know what you'll do? You'll keep trusting him. You know why we don't? Because we lose confidence. He he was able to keep trusting God because he never, ever lost faith in God's ability. He never lost faith in God's ability. I mean, look at Genesis 41, 16. He was talking to Pharaoh about something he couldn't do. He says, I can't do what you're asking me to do, Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. He was asking for the impossible to, to tell Pharaoh something that no human being could tell him. And Joseph knew he was human and frail and couldn't do it, but he knew that God wasn't human and frail and that God could do what's impossible for man to do. He never lost sight of God's ability, but see... We stop trusting God when the going gets tough because you know what we think? We start thinking that things are too messed up for even God to fix. I mean, this world's too dark for God's light to shine in it. This, this world's too messed up and broken for God to fix and heal that, that this circumstance is 
too far gone for God to make it right. And we do it with our jobs and our finances and our marriages and our kids. And we do it with every part of our lives. But he never lost faith in God's ability. He didn't feel like because his brothers betrayed him and he was now stuck in prison that God had all of a sudden become smaller than those circumstances. And he never stopped trusting God because in spite of how hopeless his circumstances, he never lost hope in what God had promised. God had promised that he was going to use him and be faithful with him. And look at when he's standing in front of his brothers and you and I would have taken his brothers down and he instead forgave them. Look what he says in Genesis 50, verses 19 and 20. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Yes, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. You know what he's saying? The reason God allowed all of these events to transpire is because it was the only way to get me to the place where I could experience his best in my life. You wanted worst for me, but he wanted what was best for me. And even in his darkest moments, he kept trusting God. We lose hope because we stop trusting him. We lose hope because we don't believe his promises are true. We lose hope because we don't think he's able. We lose hope because we don't think he's good after all. We lose hope because we don't think he sees us. He never lost hope. And so because this is so important, if we're going to experience life, joy, meaning, purpose, significance, value in this world, we're if we're ever going to really live out the dreams that God has created for us, we have to do what Joseph did, and most don't. So what can we learn from him? How can we apply this to our life? Because life's going to get brutal for us. It's not going to all be good. It's not going to all go well. People are going to betray you and hurt you. You're going to experience disappointment so large that you feel like you could lose yourself in those disappointments. And so what can we learn from Joseph? Well, we can learn that God can always be trusted. When your family sells you into slavery, you can still trust God. When, when the corporation you've invested your entire career in proves they don't care about you, you can still trust God. When the person that you've devoted your entire life to in sickness and health, the richer for poor, betrays their covenant to you, you can still trust him. When, when your health is stolen from you, you can still trust him. When your political values are being compromised in this world, you can still trust him. When everything's going wrong, you can still trust him because God can always be trusted. What we learn from Joseph is that God can always be trusted Though, though we can't always understand what's going on. Joseph didn't understand what was going on when he got betrayed and thrown in prison. Though we can't always understand what's going on, God always knows what's, what he's doing, always. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know what God knew? God knew that to get him from where he was in life as a nowhere from nowheresville to become second command in Egypt, 
he had to go through one rocky valley after another rocky valley after another rocky valley because that was the only way to the mountain summit that God had created for him. But you know, most people don't take the journey through the valleys to get to what God's prepared for them because they don't trust God enough to follow him through the valley. We start feeling like he doesn't know what he's doing, but he knows exactly what he's doing. Just because we don't understand it doesn't mean he doesn't. In fact, when we understand he's God and we're not, we understand that he's bigger than we are and knows more than we know, and he gets what we don't get, and we trust him anyway. We can always trust God because though we may be waiting and it seems like waiting forever, God is always working. And this is where Joseph was. I mean, waiting, 13 years of waiting. But God was always working. And because he knew God was working, he never stopped trusting. You know why I stopped trusting? Because I think God's not working. How about you? Sometimes he's working on me. He's saying, I've got something for you, Brad, but you're just not ready yet. Sometimes he's working on others. I've got something for you, Brad, but I have to move other people first to make that happen. I've got something for you, Brad, but there are some circumstances that I have to start developing and evolving. And so while I'm waiting, he's working. My problem is I often miss what God is working on because... I think he's not working and I stop trusting. But God can always be trusted. God can always be trusted. Look at Genesis 39, verse 23. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Even the warden of the prison said, I'm going to trust him with the entire prison. Why? Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. God kept working, even in this prison. Though we may be experiencing difficulties and troubles and disappointments in life, God's plans for us are always positive. I, I love it when he stands in front of his brothers and says, you know, you intended to harm me, but God only intended good for me. But you know what I think when people betray me and things are going wrong and nothing's going right and I'm experiencing injustice, I, I feel like God's plans suck. Why has he got it in for me? What did I ever do to him? But the truth is, God's plans are always positive, not negative. And sometimes you have to walk through a very dark valley to experience God's best. Jeremiah 29, 11 says it, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Joseph never stopped believing this. And so in the worst of his moments, he kept trusting God. If, if I'm really going to learn lessons from Joseph and, and experience the best of God, even in a world of great difficulty, then I have, to, I have to realize that when I trust God, it's those difficult moments of life that can shape me for or lead me to my God-given destiny. I mean, that God uses the worst of moments to get me to the best he has for me. Look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. I mean, get excited when things go badly because you know that 
It's through the testing of your faith that you develop perseverance and endurance, and perseverance has to finish its work in you so that you can become mature, grow up, and complete, and no longer be empty, but not lacking anything. It, it may be the moments that we hate the most, the moments that are most brutal, that are the very same moments God can use us the most if we trust him. And therein lies the issue, if we trust him. I can learn from Joseph that when I trust God, I'll be able to accept the circumstances of my life, no matter how horrific, without surrendering to anger. You see, when we trust God, we're able to accept our circumstances, many of which are difficult and painful, without being ruled by resentment. And the truth is, if you look at your life, my life, our lives, aren't we often just kind of ruled by resentment? Mad at the people who betrayed us and unwilling to forgive them, so we remain imprisoned in the darkness because we're just not willing to trust God enough to let go. But if we really believe that God's good, if we really believe that God's able, if we really believe that God's working, if we really believe that God cares about us, won't we know that in spite of this bad moment, we don't have to be filled with anger, we can still be filled with joy because he's leading this is what happened with the Apostle Paul. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. Therefore, we don't lose heart. All kinds of junk was happening to them. They were getting beat up by life. And so he says, though outwardly we're wasting away, we're getting just destroyed, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, all the persecution he was experiencing, are achieving for us something bigger, an eternal glory that far outweighs the troubles of the moment. And so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is what Joseph did. He didn't fix his eyes on the betrayal of his brothers. He fixed his eyes on the goodness of God. He didn't fix his eyes on the, on the prison of injustice. He fixed his eyes on the promise of God, and he never stopped trusting him. And when we trust God in the darkest moment, he can shine light wherever we are. The problem is we don't trust him. From Joseph, we can learn that when we miss God's best for our lives, and all of us have and all of us will, when we miss God's best for our lives, we can't blame anyone else. It stems from our choices, not other people's mess-ups. Not God messing up. And yet, don't we, when things go wrong, don't we kind of blame God? God, why are you doing this to me? Why did you do it? If you hadn't done this to me, I wouldn't be there. If you had given me what you gave that person, then I'd be faithful too. And if you hadn't allowed this to happen, or if you hadn't allowed this to happen, or if I hadn't lost my job, or if this person hadn't betrayed me, you know I'd be serving you. But it's a lie because we don't mess up because of other people's mess-ups. We mess up because we make the wrong choice. This is why we need to understand that whether we experience God's best or not all stems from what we choose to do with God. Do we trust him like Joseph or not? This is why Joshua was so strong in chapter 24, verse 15, and he says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, hey, then choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve. Do what you want, but as for me and my household, 
we're going to serve the Lord because he knew in a world of darkness, there's only one place for light. In a world of despair, there's only one place for hope. In a world of conflict, there's only one place for peace. In a world of sadness, there's only one place for joy, and that's God. And there's only one way to find it, and that's by trusting him. We have to trust him. We have to choose him. And this isn't just a story for some guy that lived thousands of years ago. This is a story for us today. It's as true today as it was then. God is still present. God is still good. God is still able. And God is still working. And yet most people are still not trusting, which is why there are so few Josephs, the unlikely heroes. But there are some. There's a young woman in this church family, Northridge, actually teaches a Bible study, takes part in ministries here, who in my view is a modern-day Joseph who's had to trust God in the midst of the most brutal but in so doing has found life and light and joy. When I was sitting in the airport in Detroit, my dad is on CNN, and people are being interviewed about my dad, and I'm sitting at the gate, like, cowering, thinking people are going to know who I am. If you ask me what it was like growing up as a kid, sometimes I would say there was a monster in my house. When I was little, I didn't know what it was. I mean, I was living with a monster, a monster that, like, took care of you. BTK, it stands for buying, torture, and kill. It just stands for everything that I don't know my dad as. He would torture people because that brought him pleasure. I was born in Wichita, Kansas. I just grew up with, like, a really normal childhood. Whatever you did with your dad growing up is what I did with my dad. You know, my dad took me fishing, he took me camping. I mean, my dad was really like one of my best friends. Most Sundays, I was sitting in a pew with all my grandparents and my family. My mom was in the choir, my dad might be ushering. This is just me and um, close to when I'm graduating from high school, sitting next to my dad on 4th of July. My wedding, graduating from college. In the 70s, I guess BTK was terrorizing the whole city. Like, my mom was scared of this guy out here doing this stuff, and she asked my dad, like, are we safe? And he's like, oh, yeah, you don't have anything to worry about. Over here, he's Dennis Rader. Over here, he's just dad. Over here, he's a husband, and over here, he's this. And he could do all of that in one weekend, no problem. And you would have no idea. So the last time I saw him in person was Christmas of 04 and it was just a normal Christmas. Um, he seemed a little sad or something was wrong with him, but I, I know now he knew things were coming to an end. And then he was arrested like six weeks later. The bottom line, BTK is arrested. This FBI agent comes and knocks on my door. Do you know anything about BTK? And I had heard one thing on the news that there was this guy that had resurfaced and was communicating and the police were trying to catch him. I thought something had happened to my grandma or something had happened to my mom. He's like, your dad is BTK. And so I'm standing there in my kitchen by myself, and you're just so sick, you just want to throw up. And so over that, those months then, he, he confesses, and he pleads guilty, and he's saying all the stuff that he's done, and it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. It's not your dad. It's a different person. He murdered a family, like a dad, a mom, and two kids. He killed a college girl, he killed a mom, and then he killed another young lady, and then he stopped for like nine years. 
said he got busy raising kids. So maybe me being alive prevented him from a lot of stuff. I would like to think that. And then he killed our neighbor lady. And then a year later, he killed another mom while her son was, like her two-year-old son was home. Five years later, he murdered a woman a few miles from our house. And, and then go home and be just like normal, normal guy. The media is hounding everybody, just chasing all of us. And I'm not talking about like local media. I'm like talking about like Oprah and 2020 and Diane Sawyer. But we already had decided we weren't going to grant interviews. So my family never interviewed till I did this year. So my dad's in prison. He'll be there for the next 170 years or so. The more time you spend with your husband, the more time you spend with your uncles and your father-in-law, you realize there was something off with your dad. And because we thought that behavior was the worst of it, like you just love somebody, so you put up with it, because that's what you do. And then you find out that's the very, very tip of the iceberg. So then you're like, I'm done with that. I don't want anything, obviously, to do with this man. That was sort of like that pressing point with me and God because you hit that wall that you know as a Christian you're supposed to forgive and you're like I don't know how to forgive this guy I mean he he's run hundreds of people's lives and you feel like if you forgive that you're saying that's okay and you're not in your own heart something's wrong with you and it's crushing you and it's blocking you from a bigger relationship with God and it's like midnight and I'm sobbing of course my husband's like what is wrong with you like what's going on and I'm like I just forgave my dad because it just washed over me and it wasn't me it was God cleaning me out and so that night it was really late and I wrote him six pages of news about our family and our normal life told him he had grandkids and then at the bottom on the last paragraph I said I forgive you I'm not saying it's okay it is never okay what you've done to those people and to this community and my family but I forgive you and I love you and I'll try to stay more in touch. I wasn't just holding out with my dad. I was holding out with God. My father on earth, I could, he broke my trust. So I have a really hard time trusting my heavenly father as a father. And, and so God said in February of 13, around the anniversary, you need to let that go. Like you've forgiven your dad for this. Now you gotta forgive me. I don't hurt. The world hurts you. I forgave you for as far as East and West and I do it again and again. You gotta do that and you gotta do that with me. So I'm starting to be the person, old me, the fun one that wanted to go hiking and stuff. All of that grief, all of that trauma, all that loss, all that horribleness is coming back out and getting filled up with faith so that you now can go tell others. So you can talk about forgiveness on the front page of a newspaper to a bunch of non-Christians and it gets it, it passes all the editors looking people in the eye telling them who you are what you've been through and testifying to it and trying to get your faith out there in a world that doesn't have any faith and to help them find God if he can do it here he's gonna do it in you and he's gonna use it someday and he might just use it in a really big way if you let him Life really can be brutal. But what Joseph teaches us, what Carrie's teaching us, is that it can still be beautiful and meaningful and fulfilling if we make the same choices they've made to keep 
trusting God, to keep believing, as the song said, to still believe, knowing that God's there no matter what. I, I don't know what you're experiencing. I don't pretend to relate. I don't pretend to understand. I don't pretend that I've experienced as much tragedy or as much betrayal or as much difficulty. But I do know this. You can trust God no matter what. And it's in trusting him that you find life and life to the full. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. There's no way Joseph understood what was going on in his life, but he trusted anyway. And God made his path what it was supposed to be. There's no way in this world Carrie's going to understand, come to grips with anything that she's experienced, but she's choosing to trust God anyway, knowing that he'll make her path straight. And I believe that trusting God is what gives us the capacity to do what Joseph did standing before his brothers when he said, you intended to harm me, but God didn't, and so I forgive you. I, I believe trusting God is what gives a person like Carrie the capacity to forgive a man who betrayed her so much. I believe that trusting God is what gives us the capacity to forgive. And it's our failure to forgive that is what's keeping us imprisoned in life, keeping us held by injustice and betrayal. It's possible that the greatest moment in their life was when they first forgave the ones who hurt them most. It gave them the freedom to live for God no matter how difficult the moment and to experience his best. And so I guess my question is, who is it in your life that you need to trust God enough to forgive? You have the power to make this holiday a true Independence Day in your life if you make the choice they made to trust God, to trust God for eternal life. You see, the reason this moment destroys us is because we see this moment as all we have, but when we trust God, we have not just this moment, but eternal life, which is how Paul can say, hey, I don't, I don't live for this moment, I live for the eternal moment, and the suffering of this present moment's not even worth comparing to that eternal moment, so we need to trust God for eternity. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever would just trust him wouldn't have to be ruled by the darkness and death of this world, but could have eternal life. Do you have that? Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the full. But most don't experience it. Why? Because they think that means that they'll never be in a valley, that they'll never experience betrayal, that life will never be brutal. They're wrong. It means that you can experience life and fullness in the midst of any season of life and that God will make your path straight when you trust him. We need to trust him for life and fullness. And some of us have not forgiven the person, the persons who've hurt us the most and we're imprisoned by it, we need to trust God enough to forgive. And I want to encourage you not to ask God for that which you'll never experience in this world, a life with no disappointment, but to ask God to give you the faith to trust him no matter what the disappointments because that's where you'll find life in its fullness. And so before we end, I'd love to just 
pray for you and pray with you. And so those of you here in Plymouth, if you'd bow with me in prayer right now as we're sharing this service with those of you at Northridge Brighton, if you would bow and engage this moment in prayer. And if you're watching on demand online, just engage this moment in prayer. Jesus, I just thank you so much that you're real. You don't always feel real when we experience life and pain through our emotions. It's so easy to conclude that you're not real or you're not there or you don't care, that you're not working, that you don't love us, but our emotions are not right. You are right. And I just pray that you'd give each and every one of us, whatever we're experiencing in this moment, the capacity to trust you. I pray for those who have yet to take that first step where they give you their guilt, their shame, their sin, and trust you and your death and your burial and resurrection to save them. I pray for each one of us who's stuck in life, not experiencing the promise of your joy and your hope because we're not trusting you. Give us the capacity to trust you in this moment. And for those of us who haven't forgiven those who've betrayed us, give us that capacity so that we might experience life in all of its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Just before we send you on your way to finish off the holiday celebration, I just really want to encourage you. We believe that God is at work whenever we communicate his truth and spend time with him. And I believe strongly that God is at work in some of your lives and wrestling with the very things we've been talking about. And we have a prayer team here at Northridge. And so when we finish our services, they come down front so that when everyone else is leaving, if you'd like someone to talk to or someone to ask questions of or someone to pray with you, all you have to do, they're at Brighton, here at Northridge Plymouth, just come forward and they'll spend time with you in a very appropriate and kind and gentle way. For those of you online, I hope that you'll connect with us and let us pray with you and help you as well. For those of you who are going out to have a blast, enjoy, but please be safe on this 4th of July weekend. And don't forget, along with the freedom to barbecue, we have the freedom to worship God. And along with the freedom to worship God, we have the freedom to tell people who are so desperate for God about him. Let's use our freedom to share Jesus with this world, okay? It's an awesome experience. And don't forget... Next weekend, we start our summer series called Unforgettable. We have some unbelievable teaching that's going to happen this summer. We've got some great people coming in. I hope you'll engage it. We'll see you. Thanks, everybody.